Welcome to Conversations with Coaches, where top executive coaches talk about the leadership tools that shape their practice and then give them to you for free. This is a stakeholder-centered coaching production where we believe everyone deserves a stakeholder-centered leader. I'm Brandon Murgard, CEO of Stakeholder Center Coaching, and I'll be your host as we take you inside the coach's toolbox. The best part of this season is you get to keep all the tools. We're giving each resource away to our listeners for free as part of our mission to measurably improve leadership effectiveness around the world. You can download all the tools at mgscc.net forward slash coach dash toolbox. That's mgscc.net forward slash coach dash toolbox. By the way, if you are a certified stakeholder center coach, you already have access to all of these tools right inside of your SCC coach portal. So get yours today. Dear listeners, fasten your seatbelts because our episode today is sure to be a fan favorite. We're meeting with one of the most aggressively learned and trained coaches that I know and someone who has stretched me both professionally and literally physically with his constant encouragement to go literally the extra few miles. is a dear personal friend of mine is Mr. Bill Zeeb. Now, professionally, Bill is a leadership coach, a stakeholder center coaching master coach, and a fellow member of the Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches community. Prior to becoming a leadership coach in 2016, Bill held various high-level roles in sales, finance, and even operations. He is recognized for his approach at blending coaching and mentoring while bringing in his business experience, having worked in, on, or for more than 100 companies in nearly 30 countries. He's an accomplished polyglot with strong proficiency in three languages, including German and French. Personally, Bill is a good friend of mine. Our paths intersected at uh, an exceedingly unusual time in both of our lives where we challenged each other up and we've both thrived in various ways as a direct result of our relationship. So, you know, since I'm the host, I get to share my side of the story, Bill. (laughs) When I first met Bill, we connected very quickly over our mutual love of cycling Uh, And he told me about his triathlon training, which I frankly thought was crazy until he told me about his extreme triathlons through frozen water and where the ride and run portion were up more than 10,000 meters in elevation. And at that point, I thought he was a superhero. He has since challenged me as a professional, as a leader, and as an executive. And I can squarely say that I'm a better person for knowing him. Bill has done great things for the Stakeholder Center coaching community as well. He serves as a leader and a mentor to many coaches, sharing his insights as a master coach and recommending individual specific ways to improve their practice. He currently facilitates our mentorship program for new learners as he guides them on an eight-week journey of practice and skill development. Bill has come to be known as one who is always seeking a better way for teams to collaborate and perform and has done great work in both the one-on-one and the team coaching space. So please, ladies and gentlemen, join me in giving a very warm welcome to our guest today, Bill Zeep. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brandon, for your kind words. And uh, for all that we've learned together over the years, it's great to be together. Ah, thank you, Bill. It's such an honor to get to introduce my guests. And that goes without saying for you as well. 
Um, as I said, I'm, I'm very confident this will be a fan favorite. Um, and <laughs> for everyone listening, just a heads up, this conversation is probably going to be cut into a few different videos because we've got so much to cover and so many topics that we'd like to get in on. Um, today, we'll be specifically talking about weekly check-ins um, and time efficiency in coaching. So, um, Bill, let's just start off by getting kind of uh, a background on how you came to be a coach and what you've been doing since. Excellent. Thank you so much, Brandon, for that that invitation. Uh, my career has been moving through different functions, sales and finance and operations and continuous improvement. And after I had trained 2,000 people in Lean Six Sigma methods, I noticed the hardest part of helping major organizations transform and drive change was always leadership. And as someone who has brought a lot of skill building to organizations to transform processes, I'm always fascinated with data. And when I noticed that stakeholder-centered coaching is based on data, then instantly I fell in love with that and, uh, and I jumped in with all of my energy. And yeah, the rest has just emerged from there. It's always interesting to enter into a new space with a fresh set of eyes. You know, you get to, with, with bright eyes and bushy tail, get in and understand what's happening. But you also have a unique perspective on some of the challenges that are being faced by the, even the highest performers in that field. So what are some of the things that you noticed as you became a coach and then very quickly rose through, rose through the ranks, let's say, as an executive coach? What were some of the challenges that you noticed or you experienced through that journey? Making the transition from working for someone else on a paycheck to being an entrepreneur and leading a coaching business has been one of the richest challenges I've, I've faced. And it's one that requires, at the same time, building capabilities within coaching, transforming myself to be more present with those I lead, and at the same time, there's a business to run. There's a there's systems to create to make sure that I'm developing enough contacts that I'm not needy with with prospects. That I'm having conversations and and I have more people wanting to work with me than I have capacity. That's that's the that's been something that's taken me years to achieve and something that um, when I've talked to new coaches, I try and get them to step into the practice early and I try and encourage them to, to really work their networks and take some specific time to grow their business. What's that like for you? You know, to your credit, most coaches, the vast majority of coaches will never reach that point where I have, I have too many prospects that I can uh, possibly handle and certainly um, too many that I could coach. What does that look like for you as a problem? And what have you done or maybe even what have you noticed um, as a potential lever for solving that problem? I've been through different phases um, and I love to read. I have 50 or 60 books on sales, and I, I help other coaches to develop their wording and their approaches and, 
and their how they build their brand for coaching. It's not my main focus, but I'm happy to share what I've learned. Um, the the challenge is for me. It's gone through different phases. In the beginning, it was important to start coaching at the top, and to find a way to coach an organization where you can connect with the CEO and then work your way down into the organization. For me, that meant from leaving an organization with 40,000 employees and going to coach an organization that might have 150, okay? And and bringing my wealth of experience from the larger organization. Following that, I I embedded myself so deeply in my clients, caring so much that I, I lost focus on expanding my network and making sure I have time for that. And when that happened, I started coaching deeper into my clients. And and this raised an ethical dilemma that I wasn't aware of at the time, but which now is crystal clear to me. It was, it was presented in multiple books by Professor Peter Hawkins or my supervisor, Professor David Clutterbuck. It was shared with me by, by my uh, fellow Marshall Goldsmith stakeholder-centered coach and organizational psychologist, Sabina Renner, but I couldn't hear their messages then. And, and the fear in me of not having enough business led me to go deeper into the organization. So I found myself coaching a CEO and maybe a direct report of that CEO and, and coaching individuals that are in a direct report relationship um, leads to a conflict of interest. And no matter how good you are at creating the paper fences in our mind, um, that was a dilemma. And now I'm at a phase where I'm focusing on coaching the top leaders and focusing only on them and where I'm building a network of other growing stakeholder-centered coaches who share my passion for excellence, for taking coaching to a higher level and and bringing those into my clients and then moving on to the next client and, and just working more of the top relationships. And that's been an evolution for me. Um, for some coaches who have come from, I, I work with coaches who have been with McKinsey earlier and they're entrepreneurs and now they want to move into coaching. Um, for them, that might be an easier journey. For me, that was a bit more challenging. That makes sense. Um, and, and it's the, the question, how long do I have to keep selling? Well, as long as we're alive. <laughs> um, so we, we have to always be working on expanding our network and, and finding the next, uh, the next engagements. You've talked a little bit about ethics and something I so appreciate about our relationship is you've really shaped my perspective on ethics in coaching. And I'd love to spend the next few hours unpacking that. But in the brief time we have, let's, let's share with our listeners some of the ways that you've thought things through. So when we talk about ethics and we look at the problem of leaders coming to you, raising their hand and saying, hey, I need help to be a better leader. And you looking at your ability to output and say, you know, the supply is going to be uh, much lower than the demand. What are the the ethical implications of this, and what other ethical uh, conundrums have you run into in your coaching? One of the ethical challenges I faced early on was with the founder, and we shared the stakeholder centered contract. And this was an entrepreneur of the year in Switzerland, a wonderful leader. We learned so much together, 
And he looked at me and he said, Bill, you have an MBA and you worked for so many companies doing Lean Six Sigma. I want that expertise as well. And this for me, coming as a question for him made it very legitimate. Why I have to be careful is with other leaders, I need to ask them and make sure they're requesting that in my coaching agreement with them. Does that make sense? Yeah, if we were to, there's, there's a host of ethical issues that need to be very smartly navigated in coaching. Um, and so to distill some of the conversations we've had, what are some of the key considerations or action points that you could share with our listeners as it relates to ethics in leadership coaching? A, f a few points. To whom do we hold our agency? So when I met this founder and began to coach him, I made it clear that my agency was to the company he had created, and he was fully aligned with that. And other times I've coached leaders, and I would have an agency to the leader. Perhaps a leader is in, is in a position that's not best utilizing their talents. And sometimes taking some time to reflect can help them find their true calling. So it there's certainly a, a conflict of interest there. Who is your agency for? And in, in that case, it, I, I wish ethics was a question that I could decide with my head. Most times I'm deciding the ethical questions with my heart. And that took me a long time to figure out. When Peter Bregman first helped me become a uh, step up to lead with my heart in one of his leadership workshops, um, it, it's been a lot of work to get to that point from from leading with my head to leading with my heart. And when I'm when I'm helping a leader make the the best move for them, oftentimes I realize it's also the best thing for the company. And when I speak openly with the company about this, oftentimes they recognize that as well. Let me give you a brief example. Um, I'm coaching, I'm asked to coach a leader who's running a factory, and this leader's not really giving the factory the leadership they need. And the boss of the leader knows that. So I'm asked to coach, and I just read um, the book by uh, about Bill Campbell, The Trillion Dollar Coach, where Bill Campbell uh, flies nine hours to Japan to have a one-hour meeting with Steve Jobs before he flies back. Um, you know, and he takes 18 hours for a coaching conversation. And I read that and I thought, hmm, that sounds fascinating. So the leader I'm coaching was nine hours away in Germany. So I jumped in my car and drove up to Germany and, and spent two hours with the leader and, uh, and thought, hey, I know I'm learning to be like Bill Campbell. Um, this leader's um, situation was that their partner had had a tragic experience with ALS and for two years was in convalescent care under this leader's guard, which meant they didn't have the time to be present at work. And the, the partner passed and I was able to coach that leader. Um, and this leader made tremendous steps forward in what they were doing as a leader. They were recognized by stakeholders as being measurably better. And this was after a very difficult time in their lives. 
And fast forward a few years, this leader's recognized, I'm not sure I really want to be the top leader here. I'd like to be a strong individual contributor helping a new younger top leader. And this leader has stepped into that role. And it makes me very proud to hear this story and to have been part of this transformation where the top leader said, we've got to do something. And the leader receiving the coaching stepped up and and did the hard work and it turned out the best for everyone. So if the ethics can also work like this when things go well, where ethics become especially critical are where things are, are difficult, where there's tensions that are unresolved. And in this case, it's, it's clear to have um, some clear documentation and contracting. And maybe that's something we'll get into later. That's an area I have a lot of passion about. Um, the difference between, as a great Steve Hardiman would say, the difference between um, expectations and agreements. Expectations are cowardly and one-sided and expectations come quickly without um, deep conversation. Whereas an agreement is slow, but it's courageous and an agreement between two parties to hold themselves to us accountable together is is a foundation of stakeholder-centered coaching and the the tool that I'd love to share. And I, I don't believe in tools. I believe in, in processes to make coaching better. So what I'd like to share with the world is how to help make contracting even more impactful and even less time. Yeah, I think time efficiency is going to be a key theme in this discussion. So you have a scenario where you've got a few too many leaders seeking help um, and the to maintain the quality of coaching relationships that you have, as well as the agreements that do invariably take time. So time efficiency must surely be a key factor for you. Can you tell me how you structure your coaching engagements so that they are incredibly time efficient while maintaining the impact that you seek to have? Yeah, that's a great question, Brandon. And, and a lot of the structure I get just came through uh, it's not to my credit it's it's the credit of people like Frank Wagner and Chris Coffey and Marshall Goldsmith who for four decades worked with the highest C-level executives who are earning tens or hundreds of millions a year whose minute value is so high that they needed to come up with a methodology of coaching that's very high impact in very low time. And this resonated with me because my why in life is to find and share a better way. And how I do that is I challenge the status quo. So no matter how much time we take on a coaching, I always want to see, can we get more positive impact in less time? And ultimately, what I bring is I want to contribute to an organization bigger than myself. So coaching very much matches my why, my how, and my what, if that makes sense. And and this contracting is one part of it. Um, and and I, I'm curious, I continually experiment with how can we help leaders, and we're learning more and more about neuroscience and the brain, and we can get 
brain scans, and we know that that the amygdala, does, the reptile brain, doesn't deal with with um, language. It's fear driven, and yet it's our superpower. And then we've got the prefrontal cortex, and can we step out of our brain and become kind of a third entity? And can we learn to teach our prefrontal cortex to take pause and reflect before we act from the amygdala, which our ancestors were all trained, we must act immediately or we'll be eaten by the bears and tigers. And, and there's so much we can do today. We've never understood neuroscience so well and we might have used weekly check-ins in the past. Now we have apps that we can use. So never before has it been have there been more people coaching than today, and never before have we been learning more. So this is kind of the it's my happy time for coaching because there's never been a better time to co-create a better way to help leaders get better. Just think of the book written by Scott Osman and Jacqueline Lane and Marshall becoming coachable that's that, that is just coming out tomorrow as we record this right so um it's uh it's a special time we live in if you're thinking of either receiving coaching or or becoming a coach there's never been a richer better time to to make that step yeah and it's so funny because as much as we have grown in our knowledge even just over the last 10 years, even over the last last few years, we're still just barely scratching the surface. But we can say without a doubt, especially looking at the trajectory of the world, and I say that globally, that coaches will be instrumental in the success of numerous things across the planet, as they have been in various uh, areas such as sports. But we see coaches are going to not only increase our ability to create meaningful, sustainable impact. Leaders will also learn to maximize that impact from their side and the tools and techniques we come up with will also increase our efficiency at creating this impact. It is a magical time and it's, I mean, it's only going to get better. So when you say uh, these check-ins and you talk about efficiency, what do your, well, let me back up. Bill, can you just take us through uh, a typical engagement? Like what does it look like for you um, and go ahead and start anywhere from the time that the leader first reaches out to you or you've already done your stakeholder briefing. Pick a pick a point and walk us through it. I start an engagement first with with a conversation. And that generally results in the leader understanding the process and and having a contract of our obligations to each other to work together for a time period, to come back to each other in certain duration of time, um, to be responsive, to do the necessary preparation. Uh, so I, as a coach, obligate myself to come back in a certain time to read uh, the feed forwards and the after action reviews before the coaching and come in knowing them better than the coach, better than the person receiving the coaching, the, the champion. Um, and, and so this contract is the first part. And, and then we proceed to an assessment, which can be behavioral interviews, which are what I used primarily in the beginning. It's what Marshall used for many years. 
And if you look behind me, there's an online assessment that I'm especially in love with because it makes seeking the behavioral change goals so much richer because it links our fears to our um, purpose. And we want to keep the strength of our fears as we strengthen our purpose. And that's the leadership circle profile that's, that's helped me a lot there. And so with that assessment, debrief that with the leader, um, come up with two very well wordsmithed, compassionate yet significant, measurable, observable leadership growth goals. Uh, Frank Wagner likes to come up with one. I'll, I'll be playing with that a little bit, but I generally use two. I'm not quite as laser focused as Frank is yet. And then the leader gets feed forwards and shares them with me and we write an action plan. It's a half page email. Boom, it goes out in the coaching conversation. And, and then we start with weekly check-ins. And weekly check-ins for me are a 15-minute um, placeholder in my calendar for myself and the leader. I generally block 30 in case we want to go over, but usually they're over in 10 or 15 minutes. And the leader works with an app where I, where I help the leader formulate some questions on their most important work. So let me give you an example. One leader wants to build collaboration in their team. They've been doing too much themselves, as many founders do. So the question might be, did I do my best to expand the capabilities of my team today to um, allow myself to have more time on the most important strategic focus? And then I just invite the leader to journal on that. One or two sentences. I make the request for the reflection so microscopically small that there's no excuse for the leader not to do it. And if the leader doesn't do it, then we both know they're not playing. And if someone's not playing, it's time to stop coaching. And we have that in our contract. Um, another example today, um, and I, I've learned to be extremely challenging. And so I'm working with the leader and they have a new client which could 10x their business, should this client work. The only client in their portfolio of that scale with that potential and the project management for this project among eight or 10 ongoing projects is not statistically significantly different than the other eight peanuts projects, right? So one of the questions I asked the leader today in their tracking coach or in our 15-minute session was, did you do your best to put enough time and focus on the most important growth and stability building opportunity in your business today? And, and that's not an easy, that was not an easy question for me to ask in the early days which would almost fall on being unethical because it was based on my pleasing nature, okay? Um, but that's what a great coach will do. They will ask you the questions that make you as a leader squirm 
and then reflect and think on what you need to do. And so in the course of these weekly 15-minute conversations, um, I find that it accelerates this transformation of the neural pathways. It helps the leader even faster become the great leader they want to become. And, and that is, that's coming directly from my triathlon training where I had my own coach and he coached me 500 days in a row with data. And each day he would give me an email with how he evaluated my performance running, biking, or swimming. And that allowed me to to reach an extreme level of performance in a short time. And I like to carry exactly this passion for dramatic change fast um, to the benefit of all into my coaching, if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, I'm laughing here to myself, just thinking how much what you're saying is so representative of who you are. Uh, and some of the things you're mentioning also are, are flashing up nostalgic memories of things I've learned from you and from Frank in coaching. One of those that I teach, man, I may be teaching this in practically every every session I facilitate. I just can't think of any that I haven't mentioned this, but exactly what you described with the leader where you taught me set the goal so embarrassingly low that if you don't do it, it's, it's shameful. So don't plan to go out and ride for four hours. Don't plan to ride for a half hour. Instead, plan to put on your socks. Like if you can't even just put on your socks, you're not, like you said, you're not here to play and I'm not here to coach. And so what you seem to be doing is having the leader take the very smallest possible step forward. And what I found in my own life is that, you know, I, I can think the last time I tracked this was maybe somewhere between four and 600 days running. I only had two days of failure where I put on my socks and I didn't go out and do something or where I took the smallest step as a leader, even while you were coaching me, Bill. And I took that smallest step that we agreed upon and boy, I took it to town and did a whole lot more than I would have had I had a bigger, um, a bigger goal. And I've learned that from you. I've applied that in my coaching. It's been reinforced now in my coaching. I'm being coached by Frank um, and seeing these things. Uh, it just makes me laugh to see, boy, Bill, you've shaped me. You've showed, <clears throat> shaped stakeholder center coaching. And I can see you're doing this with the leaders. I just so appreciate that. So these 15-minute check-ins, they come back and they, you're reviewing the questions that they've answered. And then what does your conversation on the backside of that look like? Are you, are you asking prodding and exploratory questions? Are you asking for, you know, what happened next? What does that look like? And, and it, it really varies. I need, to, I need to first read the questions before the coaching. So, so, you know, when people talk about selling coaching hours, it makes me angry. Because the time I spend before and after coaching, coaching is not, I do not coach by the hour. I coach by results over a period of time, okay? And, and that's hard when you've got corporates asking for hourly rates. So how do these discussions look? Well, I'm coaching one leader. He is so dedicated, earning his MBA while he's an executive and traveling for work, and and then one day in a coaching, I, in a 15-minute check-in, I asked him, I said, 
Sometimes we talk about self-care. I said, it's not always easy for me. How are you doing on self-care today, one to 10? The leader looks at me and he says, minus five. And I let that sit for a minute. And then I said, maybe it's time we both just call it a day and go for a bike ride. And, and that's one example. Another example is maybe I'm coaching an extremely ambitious, high potential leader. This is someone, he can get into any university he wants in the world, PhD, lifts weights, health, and climbs mountains, like three mountains in a day, just a day hike, amazing. And this leader's, he's blessed with, with wonderful impatience and drive and also holding very high standards. And, and yet, when he comes into the organization, the organization needs that desperately. And yet many people in the organization are put off by that and might even view this leader as they viewed me when I was like this leader as a bulldozer, just kind of blasting through. And then putting a question in the daily app, did I take time to reflect how the harsh feedback from my colleagues is exactly the gift I need to learn to become the leader of building a company 10 times bigger than the current one I'm working. And with, with this question comes a bit more journaling and in the next 15 minute weekly check-in, it might turn out that we wanna talk half an hour and even book an extra half an hour, but that's okay. So it's, it's a, coaching is very much about helping the leaders learn to reflect and, and look deep inside themselves and, and uncover and become who they want to become, whoever that is, whether it be a better father, husband, um, you know, logistics manager, whatever it might be. And, and I, find, I find the app helping to do that with the questions weekly. I recall in our green room conversation earlier, you described these daily questions and the 15 minute check-in system as really unleashing something magical in the relationship, something magical for leadership development. So it's clear, it's clear what the leader gets out of these questions. As a coach, what are you getting out of the questions when the leader sends those responses to you before that check-in? Excellent question. Thank you so much, Brandon. There's, I've coached also where I'll just have a monthly check-in with the leader. And I would generally do 90 minutes because you got to review their feed forward. You haven't caught up. You're doing their after-action review. And, and so that becomes a long and somewhat stressful, action-packed conversation. What I've found by doing the 15-minute conversations is I'm having more touches with the leader and when we come to the monthly session where there's new feed forward and an action plan, instead of needing 90 minutes, we're doing it in 45, which is actually better for the leader and for me. So it's, it's a little bit like working to train yourself for triathlon. When I, when I did it in the beginning, I would just go out and count the hours that I worked out. And a lot of organizations today are buying coaching by the hour, and I feel so sad for them because 
coaching is not about the hour. Coaching is about the impact per minute. And, and this is what I love about stakeholder-centered coaching because I know of no other coaching approach that brings in the insights from so many people around the, the leader themselves that is so ultimately scalable deep into the organization, cascading level for level, when the top begins. It's important the top begins and then stakeholder-centered coaching becomes the most cost-effective and scalable coaching available on the planet, especially when we do it the way we're doing it now with groups or teams of four or six leaders all together doing their feed forwards together and then just doing the daily check-ins or the weekly check-ins individually. So it it allows us as coaches to have more impact in less time. I have way less mental stress and worry and curiosity and, and unknown thinking going on in my brain because I'm checking in with the leader every week and I'm, I'm providing some small gift of goodness each week or trying to, or even if it's just listening. And so it's, it's for me as a coach, it's more efficient from the time point of view. It's um, better for the client. They get more results. And it, it just feels like a, a, a win for, for the champion who is receiving the coaching, the coach, and all the people around the, the champion from their family to their coworkers. Given your exposure to so many different coaching approaches and methodologies and processes, do you see that this 15-minute check-in procedure as something relevant for other coaching approaches as well? Or do you think that this is primarily effective in the stakeholder center coaching process? Unpack that for me. There's so many different coaching methodologies. It's so confusing. Oh my gosh, there are so many coaching schools in the world. And I can't speak for many, but I have had quite some training in solution-focused brief coaching, which I find extremely powerful in 30 minutes to help someone work their way through a major issue. Or or Nancy Klein's thinking environment is another powerful one. Um, and and so when I think of of coaching, I guess the question becomes, how long do you want to keep improving your leadership? And for me, the answer to that is, as long as I have a pulse, I want to keep improving my leadership. So I need a coach permanently. And I, you know, Alexei Robichaud, who was the CEO of BetterUp, he talks on a podcast about how he works with three coaches at the same time. And I'm not so far away from his approach. I've been blessed to work with 28 or 30 different coaches over the years. And so for me, these 15-minute check-ins are kind of a way of normalizing coaching into everyday life. And it's, a, it's an intermediate step, which leaders can then take for themselves and, and use in their one -on, weekly one-on-ones as well, right? And I, I, in a perfect world, we probably won't need any coaching. We'll just all be coaching each other. And, and this, this make-believe profession that I'm trying to practice today will, will just disappear. That would be my perfect vision. That's a beautiful future.
Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, that's kind of the backbone of stakeholder center coaching. Is it not like the goal is your stakeholders are the real coaches. They are there anyway, and they have all of the answers. You are there as the leader. You are the one who holds all of the action. And as long as you can create a cohesive marriage between the suggestions and the action and measure it with the tools that we've made for free out there, we don't really need a coach. However, <laughs> there's a pretty big gap between knowing what to do and doing what needs to be done. And that's sort of the, the space that we fill. So let me ask this maybe a little bit differently than Bill. Is there anyone who wouldn't benefit from this 15 minute check-in? Are there any leadership growth areas that might not be, I, I think it's safe to say from what I'm hearing, this check-in process is going to work as long as you're working on something, something targeted and have a reasonably powerful question. Could I self implement this and expect to have changes if I'm a leader without a coach, do you suppose? Uh, I, my, I practice this myself, both with and without a coach. And I think for me, I'm too weak. I'm not strong enough to practice it on my own. And I noticed this also in my triathlon training. Okay. And yet when I worked with my triathlon coach and he gave me personalized daily instruction and feedback over 500 days for a year and a half, I learned some techniques that I take with me now. And, and yet, at the same time, at least for myself, I need a coach. And that's why I regularly contract with a, with a supervisor and, and work with other coaches uh, and, and make sure I'm doing that. Um, it's also interesting, as a coach, one of the leaders I'm working with says, I need a break for six weeks. And I can ask if... He wants to think about that, and I can give him space to wait for six weeks. And there, there's a leader right now where we're taking a break, and I think that's also something that's happened to me in my life, that there are times when I want to and I have the bandwidth to work on myself, and there are other times where I need maybe just to step back. So so I think it's a very individual decision. I, I don't... I don't force the 15 or require or contract that we're going to do the 15 minute sessions. I do invite leaders to, to think about it. And I find especially for leaders will get caught up in the crazy hectic world. We've never lived in a time where we have so many interruptions, where our mobile phone knows exactly what we like to see most. You know, what's the one thing you want to see some amazing construction machines doing something amazing in the middle of nowhere, then it pops up on your Facebook ad automatically. Or you want to see a, a, a lion and an alligator facing off on a sandbar. You're, the Facebook throws that stuff at you. Whatever you watch, it's going to just addictively um, hold you. And coaching is a time to step out of this. And especially for our children who've only grown up with phones, um, I think coaching is going to become even more important in the future for just this reason. Would you mind, Bill, if I asked, what are some of your daily questions? No, I, I'd love to just share a few of my daily questions with you. And, and they, they, they have evolved over time. Some of my daily questions 
go around balance between family and work. So one amazing coach once remarked to me, Bill, you care so much about your clients and your coaching. You tell me your family's important to you. Do you work as much with your wife and daughters and son to help them discover and become their best selves every day as you do with your clients? And boom, that became a daily question. That became a daily question. And that coach, I've never met them face to face. I need to go down to South Africa and thank this person. Karina Schreiner, God bless you. You're amazing. So for, for me, that, that's one example. And my daily questions change. Did I do my yoga? When I had COVID and I got long COVID and my knee stopped working and I went to doctors and it wouldn't, and I lost my mobility. I was limping. I went from running marathons to limping in the city. Then I went to a yoga instructor and got some exercises to stretch the muscles in my leg. And now I'm back running again. I went running this morning. And so, um, you know, did I do my best to take care of my body? I'm very focused on the difference between lifespan and health span. Lifespan is birth to death. Health span is what do I want to do the last year of my life? And for me, health span as a 63-year-old young guy who wants to coach another 30 years, and where we've never lived in times where we were more likely to have this chance, and we never, you don't, you never knew as much as you know now, right? So, so for me, lifespan, I spend it between an hour and an hour and a half every day on lifespan. What does that mean? It means the foods I eat are the foods that are going to help me be healthy at 90 so I can still swim a mile, climb a mountain, and go skiing when I'm 90 years old. It means I get enough sleep. It means that I'm doing my flexibility and strength workouts because at, at age, as we get older, we, we suffer from sarcopenia. Just as it happens with leadership, it happens with our muscles. If we don't practice, if we don't use it, you lose it. That's called sarcopenia. And so that's a daily question. So I've got health ones. I've got ones focused on did I take enough time to work on, on developing other coaches? Did I take enough time to work on new business opportunities? So did I take enough time to learn about what fascinates me? So I've, I've a mix of daily questions and, and I mix and match them up over time. They vary from anywhere from five to 25. So the gift that you're giving our listeners today is the process that you go through for these weekly 15 minute check-ins and how you collect the questions. Is that correct? Exactly. And, and this is a tool that I learned through my work in the master practice sessions with Frank Wagner. And, and because my why is to find and share a better way, when Frank mentioned this why, I started to put it into test. I started to experiment with my clients. And at first I made it for 30 minutes and then we made it for 15. And you don't know how it's going to work and you do it on Monday or Friday and then you've got to cancel because you've got this or that. And then you have to, you have to 
change your expectations of how do I expect myself or the other person to react when I need a change? And then you just have an agreement. Hey, we're going to meet once a week. And if one of us has to shift it, we shift it. And, you know, I had a guy last Friday and I was in a silent retreat. So I said, hey, can we move it to Monday? And we shifted it to Monday and it was all good. So this is just a, a tool that I've learned from Frank. And, and it's something that uh, it's an easy one to, to play with. And it's one that makes the quality of stakeholder-centered coaching much higher in my opinion. Yeah, you know, we've did uh, quite a bit of research on the daily questions approach. This must have been back in 2015 or so. Um, and our sample size was some 2,000 or so people who went through a two-week process of answering six daily questions every day. And they all started with, did I do my best to dot, dot, dot. Did I do my best to find purpose and meaning? Did I do my best to be happy? Did I do my best to etc. Um, and I, I believe the final numbers were something around 98% of people who did this for two weeks got measurably better at something. Their scores improved over time just by being aware. And these are generic questions. But if you can tie them down to the leader's reality, what they're working on, and especially tether them to stakeholder suggestions, I mean, this is, this is like uh, rocket fuel for stakeholder center coaching. Um, and thank you for sharing your questions as well. That's, that's interesting to hear. Um, <clears throat> is there any prerequisites? You know, if I'm, go ahead. Maybe just a quick um, uh, example. The leadership circle is, is this model behind me here. And if you look here, this is drive. Okay. So as a leader, I have, a lot of drive. And I my drive is at about, I, I think it's about 40%, 40th percentile. Other people see me at over 80. So what one of my daily questions is, was I aware of how my drive is serving everyone and how it's holding back the collective? And what's fascinating is with the leadership circle, we also have a polarity here of self-awareness where my high drive is distracting from my self-awareness. So these are the kinds of linkages we can find with some of the new tools that are measuring with data stakeholder-centered coaching. Another example here is pleasing, okay? So pleasing is when I see something that an executive is doing that I need to really hit them on, right? And, and the old me was raised in a family where we heard from the parents, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. So when I'm being pleasing, that's holding me back from having a strategic focus, and it's holding me back from being decisive. So by understanding the interrelations between these reactive and creative tendencies, it's really fascinating how that can also tie in to these weekly questions, if that makes sense. It does. And I'm curious if, if I'm a first-time listener and I know nothing about stakeholder-centered coaching, 
but I hear this message. I hear that these 15 minute check-ins with daily questions is a very powerful and potent combination. Are there any prerequisites to me taking what you've described and putting it directly into practice? I think the best way to learn is just to try it, Brendan. And I think what we need to do is just make sure we've got one or two pages describing this process and, and share it with the community and that, that will, uh, and, and as the community finds a better way to do it, we can make that a living document and continue to build and upgrade. We also talked a little bit earlier before clicking the record button, um, about an additional resource or resources you wanted to provide, uh, as a bonus. And I've gotten the two thumbs up from our producer to put those in the show notes. So what's the other resource that you wanted to share? Wow, uh, this is one of my favorite ones, Brandon, because this one saves time for the coach and for the champion. And this is one that has been developed over time. And I continue to add a few things to it. This is the, the single page contract between either an individual and the coach, or I also have a version that I use when we do team coaching, where the team actually contracts to support each other. Okay, so it's a slightly modified version. And in this contract, it's one page, it's not legally binding, it's just a, uh, a promissory note between two parties, right? That are the, the agreement of working together, it, it melts all expectations, okay? So it's, it's courageous, this document. And you can change and modify it. And it's it's based on courage, humility, and discipline. And um, what I always do is I ask people, where are you on a one to 10 scale on courage, humility, and discipline? 10 is perfect, one is the opposite. Courage is the ability, is the willingness to step out of your comfort zone and try something new. Humility is the ability to know that half of what you know is wrong and know that you're there to serve others, not to serve yourself. And Discipline is about doing the necessary work of collecting the feed forwards and doing the reflections and preparing the, the weekly check-ins with a few uh, journal entries. And I ask people, where are you? One to 10 on courage, humility, and discipline. And they always know a number and I always write it down. And this saves time because then you can, you can just come back and you know where the leader is. And the leaders, they never lie. They always know where they are. And then I ask the leader on a second page, Please take 20 minutes, and this is a, this is a long request. 20 minutes is too long, so you, you already have, need to have given the leader three or four micro requests before you ask for 20 minutes, in my experience. And I ask the leader, please take up to 20 minutes and define five things I would notice you doing if you were high on courage, humility, and discipline. And please list five things I would notice you doing if you're low on courage, humility, and discipline. The leader writes this in their words. They write their own standard operating procedure of how they're going to work. Normally, I don't even have to read this. And yet, I have to say to the leader, if they're below an eight, I have to say, I'm sorry, the coaching doesn't work. We should both save our time. There is one exception if you're willing if I notice your courage, humility, and discipline is below a level eight, if I'm able to talk to you about that and help you get it up to an eight, then we can make the coaching work as long as you're willing to get it up to that level. I've never had a leader say no up until now. 
And I, I don't think I've ever had to pull out this contract sheet with the conditions of the leader. I think the leader knows what they need to do. And, and sadly, in much of coaching, when the contracting is less explicit, less clear, less transparent to both parties, you can lose a lot of time in coaching. And life's too short for that for me. So that's why I like this contract. And that's why I'm happy to share it uh, and let others put even better refinements on it going forward. Bill, you've had such a, a, I mean, a fantastic journey over the past handful of years since you you put all of your eggs in the leadership coaching basket. Uh, based on your, your ascent and your journey, what are some key insights you would want to leave our listeners with today as they are pursuing their own coaching careers? I think coaching needs to be in your heart. The first years I transformed from being a consultant delivering massive value with Lean Six Sigma to becoming a coach, the value I created was not the same. And my income went down 90%. If I hadn't been having a five or a 10-year vision about developing myself to where I am today, and if I hadn't had people around me like you, like like Frank Wagner, like Chris Coffey, like Mike McCartney, and and so many of the new coaches you've introduced me to, the Andrew Taylors and the 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 Aaron Wheelers, my goodness, it's a, it's a community. So I would say number one, make sure that you know why you're in it. If you're in it for money, it's it's not the best place to uh, earn as much money as you want. Um, that's definitely true. You can make a you can earn a, a good living um, by striving to 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 learn and deliver value, but it's it's hard work. Um, I read and invest a lot in myself. I've invested uh, over a hundred thousand in my coaching development the last seven years. Um, I always have a supervisor. I I seek out three four weeks of of training. A year. I'm just back from a silent retreat for 40 hours. Um, last week, uh, I was at a, a workshop with uh, 42 coaches two weeks ago where we co-delivered amazing workshops to each other and, and went into very deep questions. So there's a lot to learn in, in coaching. Um, if, if you're passionate about learning and helping others, if you get energy from observing the success people have from um, a few questions, then coaching can be a great choice. But I don't want to imply that it's easy or fast. I've been at this for seven years and I'm taking a, a view of, I'm taking a very long, as our friend Dory Clark would say, I'm taking the long game perspective. I'm, I'm in this for the next 20 years. I love it. Well, Bill, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you here. It's always a joy to get to sit down and speak with you. Um, as we conclude, could you let our listeners know how they could reach out to you, follow your story, or even ask questions about the tools that you're providing? Sure. Um, and I, I need to get better at sharing what I'm doing. I've, I'm on LinkedIn. I've created a newsletter on LinkedIn that I try and publish a few times a month with the most innovative thinking that I that I come across that I can share with the rest of the world like 
navigating polarities. I have a post, inhale, exhale, that uh, I highly recommend. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can email me at uh, bill.zeeb, Z-E-E-B, at infinitas.coach. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely always curious to meet others in the leadership development community. And if there's something I can do to help, uh, a very special source of joy for me is to help other coaches reach a higher level of, of performance in their own coaching in many years, less than it took me to get there. So I'm happy to share my experience there uh, if that's possible. And I've done that with many people on our practice sessions. It's also, I'd like to invite people um, if you'd like to uh, return to the practice sessions again, uh, I think uh, that's something I don't want to overpromise that we can deliver that, but I've had a few people come into the practice sessions and they've added tremendous value for the other participants. So yeah, I want to thank you, Brandon, for the privilege of uh, being able to learn and work uh, in the practice sessions with our great community. And, and I think we're just at the starting point with stakeholder-centered coaching. And I'm, I'm really fascinated and energized by what I see coming in the years ahead because it's very unique, the approach of working with stakeholders and measuring and being so highly time efficient. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you for our professional, the professional development I get from just, I mean, it seems practically just being in the room with you. Thank you for your time here. And thank you also for your personal, our personal friendship. It really means a lot to me. So ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. My guest, Bill Zeeb, thank you for joining us on this episode of Conversations with Coaches to share this tool where we walk you through how to do 15-minute check-ins with your, with your clients uh, once a week and pair that with daily questions targeted at their growth areas. So you can find the links to Bill's social media and email and website in the description below. Also, if you have a question or would like to recommend a guest, drop me an email to podcast at mgscc.net. And remember, if you liked the tool and if you're interested to know more about it, you can get it for free at mgscc.net forward slash coach dash toolbox, mgscc.net forward slash coach dash toolbox. And if you are already a certified stakeholder centered coach, you can get the tool already right inside your SEC coach portal. This has been another episode of our series conversations with coaches by stakeholder centered coaching, where we believe everyone deserves a stakeholder centered leader. Thank you for joining this conversation. And until next time, remember to keep learning, keep improving, and keep taking your coaching skills to the next level. Thank you.